0: Okay, can you hear me okay? How many were uh, in church uh, Sunday morning and heard me speak? So about a third, I think. Because uh, the brother asked me to go ahead and share a little bit of my testimony and uh, how I came to Tacoma for this trip. Uh, I was... I just want to tell you, I really enjoyed the worship. I enjoyed the prayer. To be honest with you, this is the best service that I've been in so far. It was just excellent. It really touched my heart, really touched my heart. But um, I was in the United States Army and uh, I was 19 years old. I got out when I was 22. And I got into drugs, and it was like the hippie movement. You're talking about Woodstock, all that stuff. And uh, in the midst of that, I got saved. And I was 24 years old, radically saved. And uh, by the time I was 25, I found myself in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at Oral Roberts University, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit. I started speaking in tongues. I could not speak in English for about 12 hours. Every time I opened my mouth, all I could do was speak in tongues. It was just powerful. Power, power of God was all over me. I got involved with the church there in the city. Immediately, God started using me in the area of deliverance and healing for drug addicts, for people in the occult. We went to prisons. We had a, 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 a statewide ministry. We had a band. We had a drama team. We were doing all kinds of things. That went on for quite a period of time. And then the Lord started pointing us overseas. I made my first overseas trip in 1986. Oh, by the time I was 30, I was ordained as a pastor in the church. God was moving radically. Went overseas, spent time in India, Nepal, all these different areas, Uh, actually got an opportunity to go into China. This was 1986 under communism. But during that period of time, uh, the American church was really praying for Russia, for Ukraine, for those in the Soviet bloc. I mean, they were just praying for the persecuted church. We called it the persecuted church. We prayed constantly for the persecuted church. In the middle of 1980, 87, 89, something like that, I received a prophecy. And the prophecy was that I would go to Russia and I would minister to those who had been in prison and those who'd been persecuted for their faith. So I carried that with me and I prayed. In 1989, I had the opportunity when the wall came down, as you know historically, the wall came down in 1989, I had the opportunity to go by train from Helsinki, Finland, to what was then Leningrad, and then on to Moscow, 1989. In Moscow, I met a bishop by the name of Vladimir Marashkin. He spent five years in prison, and he introduced me to the senior bishop of all the unregistered Pentecostals in Russia and Ukraine at that time, Bishop Ivan Fedotov. He spent 13 years in prison for his faith a man of God. The next year, 1990, I went to Kiev, Ukraine, and I met Bishop Levchuk, who spent 23 years in prison. An incredible man of God, 23 years in prison. We started to work in Russia and Ukraine at that time. And we go every spring and every fall, and we had kept this up consistently all through the years, 30-some years we've been working in Russia and Ukraine until the coronavirus (laughs) and everything shut down everything locked up I understand Ukraine's now open again but Russia's still closed as far as getting in so I'd like you to pray for us about that we do Bible institutes for pastors and church workers we do youth conferences Uh, the last youth conference I did there was three four hundred young people young people are really on fire doing very well over there this was in uh, Russia, in the Voronezh Oblast. We do pastor's conferences. I teach in churches. We've been doing this consistently for 30 years. And I'm really part of the brotherhood over there. And they've been asking when I can come. They're constantly asking, but we can't do anything until things open up. So please pray for us about that. I don't know if you know uh, Pastor Dimas Shelik, He recently immigrated here. Uh, in September of last year, right in the middle of COVID, he and his family, and he was my main contact in Brovery. I was in his home many, many times over the years, and it turns out that one of his best friends was Pastor Sienko. And so I met Pastor Sienko in his home twice, and he invited me to come to the church to preach, but I never had the opportunity. But once Dima immigrated, and I can't travel overseas, here I am. <laughs> so that's how I, that's how I got here. One of the things that we do and we're very strong on is discipleship. I don't know uh, if you understand what I mean by that. If you take the word discipleship, you break it down, you get the word discipline. It means to be disciplined. And we're to be disciples of Jesus. And, and the way I see it and the way it looks to me is that we come to the Lord. He's our Savior. We might even get filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of tongues. We, we have the gift of different things. But there's a constant issue of lordship, of Jesus becoming Lord of every area of your life. Sometimes it's a wrestling match. He touches stuff that you don't want to give up, but he touches it. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about just other things God wants. So we're talking about being disciplined. So we have a discipleship program, we've done it with young people, I've done it in Bible schools, different places around the, the world, I don't know if you're aware of Youth with a Mission, Youth with a Mission is a tremendous organization, young people, they hold discipleship training programs, I've taught for them, but we have this program, and it's basically empirical, it, it, it helps grow you in the Lord through basic principles, and uh, The two main principles are, number one, to know him, to know him, your personal relationship with God, and basic disciplines that you need to do to develop that. I mean, if you think about a relationship with a person, how do you develop that relationship with a person? Well, you spend time with them, and you talk to them, and they talk to you, and you do things together. It's a relationship. So the first one is to know him, the second one is to make him known, to share him with others, and to be a witness, both to the believer and the unbeliever, to be a witness in church to others, to challenge them, and also to be a witness to unbelievers. So to know him, and there's two topics there, one is prayer, and the other is the word of God our relationship with Jesus is communication that's our relationship with anyone if I was to have a relationship with this brother here I'd have to we talk about it you know we do things you know it's communication so we talk to God in prayer and he talks to us through the word of God and prayer consists of worship supplication thanksgiving we communicate to God he communicates to us through his word that might also include prophecy, visions, dreams, all kinds. The still small voice, which I'd love to teach on, but I don't have time tonight. The still small voice that he speaks to you. He communicates with us. That's the word communicate. is the word communion. We have communion with God. It's a relationship to know him. The other one is to make him known. I'm going to make it real quick because I want to get to the teaching. But to make him known and number one is in fellowship in the church and we do this through relationships, through ministering to one another through the love of Christ and then the last one to make him known is evangelism or witnessing if you don't feel called to be evangelist that's okay you're still supposed to do the work of an evangelist (laughs) to witness somebody said one time you're a witness whether you like it or not are you a good witness or a bad witness? And we witness to people in both word and action. People aren't saved through our actions. Good works are fantastic. They open people up and they draw them to you. But the word of God is what brings salvation. The word of God. So in word and action. So we have this discipleship training program and it's like 20, 30 different teachings. And we start with to know him because that's the basic. You can't make someone known unless you know them. If I'm friends with my brother and I say, I'd like you to meet my brother here, he's, what was your name? I don't know him. You know, I have to know him. I have to know someone to introduce you to them. We have to know Jesus to introduce people to Jesus. So to know him is really the most important. Prayer and the word of God. So the first teaching in the area of prayer is called Morning Watch, Morning Devotions, a basic principle for every Christian, that we as a Christian have a personal responsibility to seek and find the Lord first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning, to tune in to God first thing in the morning that we might abide in him throughout the day and continually reconnecting. We need to enter into the day with his companionship and his wisdom and strength. Uh, Many of you might know this as morning devotions. It's called morning devotions, morning watch, uh, quiet time in the morning. But very, very important, the basic thing for the Christian relationship There was a great man of God named Martin Luther. Most of you have heard of him. Martin Luther was getting a haircut one time, and his barber asked him, Dr. Luther, how do you pray? Well, you know, Martin Luther was a serious guy, so he didn't answer right away. He went home, he thought about it, he wrote his barber a six-page letter on prayer. And it was published as a book in, in 1535. And a portion of it, I'd like to just share with you a paragraph about morning prayer. It says, this is what Luther said. It is a good thing to let prayer be the first business in the morning and the last in the evening. Guard yourself against such false and deceitful thoughts that keep whispering, wait a while, in an hour or so I will pray, I will finish this or that. Thinking such thoughts, we get away from prayer to other things that will hold us and involve us until the prayer of the day comes to naught. There was a man of God named E.M. Bounds. He wrote a number of books on prayer, and I I think you can Google it, you can look it up. Uh, They're available. They're very, very classic. They used to come in a set. There was like seven little paperback books. Now you can get it, and it's a real thick book. Uh, E.M. Bounds on prayer, and he said this, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It's unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, early I will seek thee. Thou shalt hear my voice early. I like this statement. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it's another. There was another brother I was reading about. He said he coveted with God that he would not look upon the face of a man until he looked upon God's face first. I've made a covenant with God, and it's kind of, disrupted things uh, people I stay with they just have to get used to it basically I won't eat anything until after I've spent time with God I I felt like the Lord spoke to me you need to have spiritual food even before natural it's a real incentive because I'm hungry in the morning you know but so what I do is I do make a cup of coffee because God doesn't want me to fall asleep but I have a cup of coffee and I have my Bible and I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm spending time and I have devotionals and I really encourage you about devotionals. Because sometimes in Scripture, sometimes it's hard to know where to go. We can have some regular uh, chronological, some basic readings and so on. But devotionals, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know if you guys, Streams in the Desert, that's a really great devotional. It's out there. Um, Luther's got one called By Faith Alone. There's different devotionals, and they're Scripture, and it's good. It kind of gets you warmed up in the morning. And then I read the Word of God. So I do that in the morning. That's my covenant with God. We desperately need to take time for prayer and seeking God in the morning. The Word of God is clear about what this says. Look at Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. I'm going to give you a few verses. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will, it, I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Somebody said, you're either going to say, good morning, God, or oh, God, morning. <laughs> say, good, good morning, God. So first thing I do, I immediately start communicating with the Lord. In fact, for me, it's praying in the Spirit. I immediately start praying in the Spirit. It's such a blessed gift. Psalm 88.13, Psalm 88.13, but to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. These are the Psalms of David. We should give him first attention in the morning. Proverbs 8.17, this is excellent, Proverbs 8.17 I found that some translations, and actually the Russian translation is one of them, uh, doesn't read exactly like this, and I'll explain it in a minute. But it says in Proverbs 8:17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me early will find me. And I was talking to a brother, he said, no, nah, our Bible doesn't say that, it just says those who seek me will find me. I said, well, there's a word missing. He said, are you sure? So I looked it up, and in the Hebrew, the word is shikar, and it means to diligently seek early in the morning, or to diligently do anything early in the morning. So that verse actually says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently early find me. That's what that actually means. Who ser- And actually it says, who searches for you, painstakingly, meaning work, you seek and search diligently for God in the morning. And he promises that you will find him. James 4.8 James 4.8 Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that good? It's interesting, you know, when I was a hippie you never believe I was a hippie but I was. So when I was a hippie, um, they say that hippies don't go away, they just get old. But anyway, when I was a hippie, I was a Hindu. I was a practicing Hindu. I was seeking God, and I was in a dead church with my parents, so I went off into other things. I tried Buddhism, tried Hinduism, but there's there's an interesting tenet in Hinduism because there's, you know, there's these truths that are hidden in there to draw you out. But anyway, it says this, that if you take one step towards God, he takes two steps towards you. I like that. God is more interested in getting to you than you are to him. If you make one step, he'll come closer. That's what it's saying. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11 Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And again, in some translations it just says seek, but it is diligently. He's a rewarder, now think about this. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What is the reward? I was meditating on this, thinking about this. What is the reward? Is it something material? Is it some kind of blessing? You know, what is the reward? And I realized the reward is him. It's him. And in him is everything. He's the reward. If you diligently seek him, He will give you himself. He's your reward. The presence of God. I've been meditating lately on the difference between God with us, which we know that God is always with us, and God manifesting his presence. That's what we want to see. We want to see the manifest presence of God, where he is actually working actively in our lives. And I believe this is what it's talking about. Because, I mean, God is always with us. Why do we have to see? We're seeking the manifest presence of God, we're seeking to allow Him to become real and manifest the power of God, the presence of God. For me, you can always tell when the presence of God comes into a place, because I just start crying. I just start crying. The presence of God does that. It just crumbles me. And I say silly things like, where have you been, God? We well, he been there all the time, but, you know, it's just, he's there. The presence of God. This is what we're talking about, this reward. And it says that in him is every good gift. Everything you have need of is in him. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Lamentations 3, 21. If you ever read Lamentations, it's the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And the word Lamentations means sorrow or weeping. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He lived during a time of great sin. He was under persecution by the king. The king didn't like the things he was saying. Uh, Just before this, it was talking about things like, God waits for me around a corner like a bear to tear me to pieces. It's like gravel in my teeth. It's really pretty strong. And then all of a sudden, he says this in the midst of it. In the midst of that kind of uh, judgment and discipline being enacted upon a nation that was in sin, he says this, this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now practically when you think about that, whatever happened that day, however bad or good it might have been, you go to sleep, you get up the next morning, and it says God's compassions are new every morning, every morning. It's like a breath of fresh air, a new day morning he gives you life and he's there his presence is there in the stillness of the morning and it says this is true because great is your faithfulness that even though we are not faithful god is a covenant god he made a promise and covenant with you when you gave your life to him he gave his life to you and it was a covenant promise And even if you are not faithful to him at times, and we repent, but we're not faithful, God is always faithful. He's a covenant God. It says he will not deny you because he cannot deny himself. Because faithfulness is who he is. And to be unfaithful would to be deny who he is. It's a powerful, powerful thing to meditate upon. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. And it ends with this: the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. To the soul who seeks him. Let's look at Jesus as an example, real quick. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And I'm going to give you, rather than read it, because we don't have time, I'm going to give you a little background. Jesus was in the synagogue teaching. He came to Peter's house. It was in the evening, uh, towards the latter part of the day. He gets to the house, and Peter's uh, mother-in-law is sick. And it says Peter reaches down and lifts her up, and she's healed. And then it says, we assume, you know, they they have a meal. And then it says people start coming to the door. They found out Jesus is there. This is late evening. And people start coming. We don't know how many people, they said it was uh, the city. That's what they said. The city gathered at the door. I used to talk about this. Wasn't a village, wasn't a town, it was a city. So I ask, I always ask people, how many people do you think there were? Now I think in hundreds, but Russians tend to think bigger than that. They always tell me thousands, (laughs) you know, thousands. And they're probably right, but you know, we don't know, Hundred thousand. The whole city's gathered at the door. Jesus is praying for them and ministering to them. All these people are being healed. All this is going on. And it goes long into the night. And I've asked people, as you look at this scripture, how long do you think it lasted? Because he prayed for all these people and then finally everybody drifted off. What time do you think it was? I always come up with like, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning. I mean, by the time he's done, I mean, it was late. He was eating. And then he went out, and he started praying for all these people, and it went on into the night. And then finally everybody left. It was very late, say 2 o'clock. The scriptures don't say. In fact, the scriptures flow down, and there's a blank spot. And then it starts again. And where it starts is, it says this. And a long while before morning, Jesus arose. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And, you know, we read these scriptures, and I always tell people, when you read these scriptures, put yourself in there. Put yourself in there. You know, you're that... Think about that. I mean, Jesus, is, he's God, but he's man. And he gets tired, he gets hungry. He was praying from, from the end of the day, late into the night, toward morning, even 2 o'clock. Then it says... A long while before daylight. So I ask people, what does that mean? long while before daylight. So they're thinking, long four, three. How many hours did Jesus get sleep? How many hours? Now, we know he slept because it says he arose. <laughs> so he must have slept, right? We're thinking two hours, maybe. Now, I've been in these kind of situations. Not exactly, but... I was in a meeting in Moscow one time it was a home it was a uh, house church 50 people packed into this house church and because the american was there we ha- I had to pray for everybody so I prayed for everybody I got about and there was prophecy and there was healing I had a guy actually contact me later said he got healed we were praying for these people got to 25 people and I was sweating and I was exhausted and I told the brother I said brother I I just can't continue I am exhausted He was a really nice brother. He said, oh, just sit here for a moment. We'll worship God, and then you can start again. That's what he said. So I prayed for 50 people, and I was just out of it. I mean, I could not imagine. So if it were me, I'd sleep in, because God knows I need sleep. And and the Bible says, he giveth to his beloved sleep. In fact, if I was Jesus, I probably would have quoted that to the Father, when he woke me up to get out there to pray, I said, hey, wait. He went out to a solitary place and prayed. Okay, so there he is praying. And listen to this. Simon and, the, and those who were with him went searching for him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really involved in the story now. So when I read that, I get upset at Simon and those who are with him. I said, can't you leave him alone? He's out praying with the Father. I mean, he was working all night. I got really upset when I read that. But they found him. That even upset me more. And they said, Everyone is looking for you. Now you have to think about this. Everyone. Okay, you had the whole city at the door last night. All these people prayed for, healings, all these things going on. Then they left, finally left. What'd they do? They went and told their cousins and their uncles and their sisters and brothers and friends and now there's even more people at the door that's what's happening here there's more people at the door and he says this this is astounding to me but he said to them let us go into the next towns that i may preach there also because for this purpose i have come forth again i just i when i look at that i think if it was me i go glory to god We got revival. I'd go back, wash my hands, get to work, and I'd be out of the will of God. Jesus was never out of the will of God. He wasn't tempted to do that. Why? Because he had just spent time with the Father, and obviously the Father had spoken to him as to what he was to do next. And Jesus was not driven by successful ministry. He was not driven by the expectations of his disciples. He was not driven by the needs of the people. Think about all these people, demon-possessed and lame and so on. He was driven by obedience to the Father. But the only way he could be obedient to the Father was to know the Father's will. And the only way he could know the Father's will was to spend time with the Father and talk to him about what he was supposed to do the next day. That's what it says. Jesus knew how important it was to spend quality time alone with the Father early in the morning. He did it for two reasons. We're going to close with this. Two reasons. Number one, strength. Spiritual rather than physical. Jesus realized that spiritual strength was more important than physical strength. It was more important than sleep. He realized that. That out of that spiritual strength, it would even, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, quicken his mortal body, give life to his mortal body. Strength. The Bible says clearly, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? I'm going quickly. Isaiah 40. It talks about giving power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men utterly fall. But those who wait, those who seek, those who spend time with the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Number two, guidance. He went out to find the will of the Father for the next day. In John five, nineteen it said, Jesus answered, said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Being obedient to the Father. Final verse. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, this is John 8, 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Take those two verses. What does it say? It says, I do nothing of myself, but only what the Father does. It says, I teach nothing of my own, only what the Father gives me to teach. And because of this, because I spent time with him, because I'm walking in obedience to his spirit, he has not left me alone, and I please him. Guidance. We need to seek the Lord in the morning. We need to ask him for his favor and for his direction. I pray every morning for the Lord to remove hindrances and obstacles, that I would shine as a light, that God would use me. Spend time with the Lord in the morning. Find a place where you can get aside and spend time with the Lord in the morning. You want to give me those booklets under the chair? I've got a a few of the booklets that are actually this teaching, but. My wife and I both realized once we found out how many people were going to be here, I wasn't going to have enough. So there's some in Russian, some in English. Take one as long as they last. And if there isn't one for you, get the address on the back, drop me a note, and I'll send you one for free. Okay? Is that a deal? It's a great booklet. And read it. Okay? Well, Lord, I thank you for these young people. We can go ahead and stand Lord, I want to thank you for these young people, for the grace of God that you've placed upon them. And Lord, I just saw, just saw the generations of this church. What a blessing. What a blessing. A gift. Lord, I pray you establish them in the disciplines of the faith, this being one of the simple disciplines, that they would become not only saved, but disciples that you would become Lord, fully Lord, in Jesus' name, Father. I feel like the Lord's given me a simple word, and I just speak this in faith, that the Lord has spoken to you something very valuable through myself. He says, through my servant. You need to listen and you need to heed, because it can be a change point, a pivot, a change point in your life, spiritually, spiritually, and in your life, even physically. Heed the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.